Welcome to Tooled Up Education's Researcher of the Month, where the Tooled Up team selects a paper from a notable researcher that will be of interest to parents and school staff everywhere. Professor Amelia Lake is a dietitian and public health nutritionist at Teesside University. Amelia is Associate Director of FUSE, the Centre for Translational Research in Public Health, and is the FUSE lead on the NIHR School of Public Health research theme, Health Places, Healthy Planet. Amelia's research involves transdisciplinary collaborations to examine how the environment interacts with individual behaviours. Her current work is around healthy planning policy, food insecurity, energy drinks, workplace health, food systems, school food environments, the obesogenic environment and knowledge exchange. Amelia has extensive experience of working with policymakers, practitioners, non-specialist audiences, as well as academics, and has produced training programmes as well as short films. Amelia also runs a small charity called the David Ashwell Foundation, funding research into rare lung diseases affecting newborn babies in memory of her son, David. Welcome, Amelia. We're really pleased to have you here with us today. We're very excited to be making both you and your colleague, Shalina Visram, our researchers of the month this month, because you're about to release some very exciting new research into energy drinks. So very pleased to have you here. So we've got a very, very simple question to start with, which I'm sure will be extremely easy for you to answer. What exactly is an energy drink and what does it contain? Okay, thank you. Thank you for having us both as researchers of the month. Okay, so energy drink is usually a caffeinated drink. So it contains caffeine. It contains lots of other different ingredients that have got kind of long, complicated names that we're not quite sure what they do, like taurine and different additives. They often are high in sugar, although they can contain sweeteners and be zero sugar. And they're marketed as boosting energy, boosting concentration, things like that. So they usually come in cans where the caffeine content can vary from 80 milligrams in the can right up to 500 milligrams. So 80 milligrams of caffeine in a can is probably the equivalent of a standard instant cup of coffee, whereas the larger cans, the the cans that have a lot more caffeine in them, you're looking at around two espressos worth of caffeine within them. So there's a broad range of caffeine content depending on on the volume of the can. And what would the recommended level of caffeine consumption be for a child or young person? Okay, well, this is where it gets all a bit complicated. So there is European recommendations that suggest that children shouldn't have any more than three milligrams per kilogram body weight of caffeine. So that's not an awful lot but um, so it can very easily with a few cans get beyond what is recommended. Very easily by the sounds of the caffeine level in, in some of those drinks. I think any parent of, with children of a certain age at the moment will have probably heard of the drink Prime. Can you tell us a bit about that? Is Prime an energy drink as such? Okay, so Prime launched on the UK market with a hydration drink, which doesn't contain caffeine. It contains other ingredients that we probably need a bit more research to understand what they might do to, to young people and young people's bodies. There 
other version, which is an energy drink version, launched later after they'd introduced the hydration version amongst all its hype. And that is a a caffeinated, highly caffeinated drink. Right. And presumably that is equally popular. (laughs) Equally popular, you know, very different in content to to the other drinks. So whilst the colours and the packaging all look similar, it's a very different drink. Yeah, absolutely. You, in 2018, you wrote an article where you noted that on average, children in the UK consume more energy drinks than those in other European countries. Can you just talk us sort of through what the levels of consumption were at that time? So that's not our research. That's um, oh, apologies. No, that's all right. Though, so this is uh, research that had been done in Europe, and at that time, they were looking at intakes of energy drinks across Europe, yeah. and in in the, the UK across Europe, the children, young people in the UK had the highest consumption. And then there's been some more work done where they say around a third of children in the UK consume these drinks. So this wow. was pre-prime being on the market. So, you know, this data will be changing. What we do know, regardless of what children, young people are drinking, as a sector, this has been for some time the fastest growing sector of the soft drink market. So just in December, the grocer described it as a very buoyant market. So that's a publication that that looks at retail and it is and it has been a very buoyant market for quite some time and and we know that their target audience are people under 19 as well as a a market for these drinks so you know it's 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 a very profitable area of soft drink market I'm I think I'm right in saying that you were did some work which um and then Jamie Oliver started a campaign to sort of try and ban the sale of energy drinks to younger people and children and that some of these supermarkets in the UK did voluntarily sort of take up that ban has that carried yes. on and has that had much of an impact so that came about in early 2018 so pre-covid there was a campaign people might be familiar with it not for kids which Jamie Oliver's team headed up and it was just you know emphasising that these products are not for children. A lot of the major retailers came forward and put into place voluntary bans. So voluntary, these are different in different places. And again, many people listening to the podcast will know that they might go into one shop and see a label that says, you know, ID required. However, it is not universal. We also know that lots of the smaller retailers, so corner shops are where children and young people access these. And, you know, it's a voluntary ban, so it's not universal. It's not a level playing field. So I think that campaign was really effective in 2018 at raising Mm -hmm. awareness. But I think before then, people weren't that aware how harmful they were anecdotally we had people telling us that children would come to school with them because energy is a positive word parents were saying this is a positive thing to help their child concentrate and of course it was having the opposite effect so it's tricky this a voluntary ban is not clear it's pretty hit and miss we know that kids can get things online anyway Uh, 16 year olds aren't carrying id anyway so so yeah it's a real tricky one I think it's brilliant that 
retailers, major retailers were doing something that our government should be stepping up and doing. And in fact, in 2019, the Green Paper had in it that they wanted to ban the sales of energy drinks. And they ran a public, they being Department of Health and Social Care, ran a public consultation. The results of that consultation were that 93% of respondents supported a ban. That was 2019. And there has been a very loud silence ever since then. So we have no policy movement whatsoever. Well, and I think that's partly what perhaps has um, precipitated this new paper that you're, you've been working on that you're about to publish. I know a few years ago, you published a rapid review of the evidence on the consumption of energy drinks by children and young people, and that this month, the, the paper that you're publishing is extending that research. Yes. I think I'm right in saying that it looks at data from 57 studies of over 1.2 million children and young people from over 21 countries. That's correct. Which is a huge piece of research. It's fantastic. And I think, you know, from what I can gather, you're hoping that this will get some policy movement happening or at least encourage the conversation to open up again. Yes, I I suppose when we did our first review back in 2014-15, there wasn't a lot of discussion around these drinks. I think schools were aware of them, parents were aware, but maybe wider, it wasn't such a wide issue. Yeah. Since we ran that review, there there have been other groups and other researchers who have been collecting primary data, so the studies that we have looked at, plus other groups that have been reviewing the evidence. And the reason why we decided to rerun the review was that... You, may be aware that last year Wales ran a consultation around the ban of sales of energy drinks so they they still haven't made a decision and it just I was being asked for for evidence and we looked and thought okay actually it would be quite useful to rerun our searches Mm -hmm. from then to now and obviously a lot more studies a lot more evidence, you know, not surprising. Were we expecting there to suddenly be, you know, a, a change in the studies and these drinks to be positive? No. What what we see is that this is a global phenomenon. So this is not just UK. This is not yeah. just Europe. This is a global phenomenon. And the main consumers of these drinks are younger people. And there are lots of studies. There are a lot more studies. We're quite selective about what studies we include. So we go through criteria mm-hmm. to make sure that they are high quality studies. And I guess at this point as well, it's worth saying that there's a wider team of people doing this. It's not just myself and Shalina. Yeah. So we have some very, very, very talented postgraduate students, as well as other dietitians who were part of this wider research team. And It takes a lot of time to read through all the papers to make sure that meet the criteria and then to extract that data and try and bring it all together. And what it does when it brings it together is it just re-emphasizes that, yet there were health issues associated with these drinks. When we published our first paper back in 2016, here we are in 2023, 24, and these issues have expanded. So Mm. there are more and more health issues that seem to be associated. And I Mm. keep using that word because these, these are studies that are looking at lots of different things and they're not looking at causation. Yeah. So it's not a trial where you give a child caffeine and you wait and look and see what's happened to their educational attainment. It's just 
a snapshot in time. Yeah, absolutely. Well, as you've said already, you've discovered some quite alarming associations. Some are relating to physical health, but actually some are relating to mental health. Could you talk us through some of those? Yes. So I guess, you know, last time when we looked at this, there, there are a number of things that aren't particularly surprising that drinking energy drinks is associated with other risk-taking behaviours. So children and young people who have energy drinks are more likely to drink alcohol, take drugs. But now, in this new work, we now see that they're also more likely to vape. So that's a new, you know, we see as time time moves on, things change. And one of those is vaping. So vaping gets added. But also added to that was issues around violence, more likely to engage in violent behaviour. In terms of the physical health, so that included last time things like headaches, stomach aches, things that, you know, we might assume that would be associated with caffeine. And again, that was expanded within this work to include cardiac issues as well as dental health, which isn't surprising given not just the sugar content, but also the acidity of these drinks. But then the most interesting finding and also, I guess, concerning one in the light of the mental health crisis that our children and young people are experiencing post-COVID is this association with mental health. And this goes from increased anxiety, depressive symptoms, even linked to suicide. So again, stressing these are large studies that are collecting data about lots of different aspects of these children and adolescents' life. And these yeah. are the some of the factors that came up in their results and, and we're bringing this together. And obviously, as we're wanting to stress, we, this is not a causal association. or We have we don't know that it, it, whether or not it's causal. But do we have any idea as to why? Has, any, has anyone sort of found why those things might be linked or, or not? Well, there could be lots of reasons. And one of the pathways might be around sleep. So we know that caffeine interferes with sleep and sleep for a growing body, a growing brain is, and even for us, even for us poor adult bodies and brains, sleep is one of those most impartial and crucial health factors that we should not interfere with. And we know that caffeine does interfere with that. So one of the factors is going to be sleep. We also know that the people who are more likely to drink these drinks are more likely to come from more deprived backgrounds, so more likely to have more complex lives. So it's layering these things one on top of the other, which goes hand in hand with bad diet, more likely to engage in smoking, alcohol, etc. But what we do know is that there is an association we're aware that caffeine isn't good for young bodies. We talked about how much caffeine per kilogram body mm. weight. It doesn't take an awful lot to go over the recommended caffeine yeah. recommendations. We know that sleep's affected. We know it can affect educational attainment. So there are lots of things within that that make it quite clear that these are not for kids to go yeah. back to the yeah. Jamie Oliver campaign. You know, not for kids. Should they be being marketed to children. The manufacturers will argue that they are not. However, I think 
that, you know, obviously yeah. that isn't what we were looking at in our review, but, mm. you know, we, we were looking at what the health effects are, but we did look at why, and the review asked the question as to why children and young people drink these drinks, and, mm. and studies had looked at this, and this was around peers, the way the products are marketed to them, the very gendered marketing of the product. That's interesting. Also, anything that's cool has got an energy drink associated with it. Yeah. Extreme sport, music, motor racing, yeah, anything that's cool. Well, you mentioned gendered marketing there. Do we know anything about sort of the gender use of energy drinks? We do. We know that boys, again, the study has shown that boys, studies keep telling us that boys are more likely than girls to drink energy drinks. However, you know, take a walk down an aisle and look at some of the colours of the cans and some of the the designs and you can see that there's, you know, probably a move to expand that. Yeah. We also know from our earlier qualitative work that, you know, these are associated with different subcultures. So there's a strong link with gaming and caffeine being wanted or seen to be useful in terms of reaction times and levels of alertness and that. Yeah, that's really interesting. Do we know anything about the links between energy drinks and disordered eating or perhaps whether or not they're taken as any sort of appetite suppressant often? They're drunk for that reason by young people or not? So although this wasn't a specific outcome we are aware that there are some studies around that and looking at them as as meal substitutions wow meal replacements but again not a huge you know not not a huge body of research on that but you know it's it's it is something if you look at the evidence given at the science and technology committee my colleague annabelle who's a co-author on this paper she is a clinical dietitian and she talks about seeing this within her clinics right so people are seeing this seeing this clinically what about the link between I mean, energy drinks it seems to me are often marketed and you know they give you wings they give you energy so particularly perhaps for boys but sport and sporting performance are there any benefits to them i mean we've talked quite a lot about negatives are, yeah. there, are there any benefits <laughs> not not really and this is where you will see some there there are some smaller studies that look at energy drinks and sporting performance Mm -hmm. but again these studies are pretty small in sample size and you know there's there's not huge benefits but that is where you will see them and that's where again anecdotally people report seeing them but this is not energy this is not going to help sports performance there's no place for these drinks on the side of a sports pitch or any place within a child or young person's diet it is not going to improve their performance no thank you for that well as I think we've gathered these are not something that we should want our children to be consuming yet many of them are yes what do we know about parents role in influencing children's choices or, or just how parents can address this subject with their children to sort of educate them and educate themselves so again there's not I don't really have an evidence base to draw on around this but I guess experience of working in this field and working with children and young people and being a mother (laughs) is, you know, to have that open conversation and to be clear about how we as consumers are being marketed to and how much targeting there is, not just of energy drinks, but of so many foods that are high in fat, salt and sugar to children and young people. 
you know, the, if, if you have a look at the Bite Back 2030 campaign, they very eloquently have young people talking about the way that they are marketed to by larger companies. So I think there's a whole piece around, you know, the commercial determinants of health. So this is a product that needs to sell and these children and young people are the market. And, yes. you know, whether they are being aggressively marketed to be that through, you know, their favourite sport or even some of the energy drink bands have sports academies. So, again, kind of re-emphasising that that link between you just asked me about sports performance and these drinks. Yeah, I mean, I think raising, it's presumably they're seeing a lot of adverts and perhaps influencers drinking certain energy drinks as well on social media, you know, anything that sort of builds digital literacy and critical thinking about the things that they're seeing and things that they're being exposed to. It's just all about having those open conversations, isn't it? It is. And, you know, these brands are everywhere. These brands are quite literally everywhere from kids' school backpacks to pencil cases to water bottles to, I don't know, fairground rides. They are literally everywhere. And, you know, that it's, it's good to raise that critical thinking. I think banning or saying that things are bad without giving a reason as parents and as adults, we all probably enjoy our coffee and our tea, (laughs) which, you know, children might argue also contain caffeine, which they do. However, they contain it at quite often a lower dose. They are generally, unless it's an iced coffee, they are generally of a temperature where we don't really consume large volume one after the other. So it is it is quite different. And also there's quite a difference between the, the body of me as a 47-year-old woman versus the, the body of a 10-year-old and how much caffeine that body can tolerate. So I think it's it's good to have these discussions and be aware of you know the caffeine that we are consuming also yeah. and, and thinking what we're modeling. About, thinking about that in relation to sleep mm-hmm. as well. I think you know mediating health through sleep we're, we're increasingly understanding how important sleep is. I mean it goes without saying that it sounds like giving a child energy drink at any time of the day is is not a good idea but particularly not in the evening. <laughs> It's well, not going to help them get to sleep at all if they're having no, caffeine, no. caffeine later in the evening, is it? Absolutely. No, absolutely. Of any description. Exactly. Um, but the other the other thing around this is that, you know, we were talking about the evidence base and, and how much evidence. So there are lots of things that are banned for children yeah. without necessarily a massive evidence base behind mm-hmm. them. So, for example, don't sell crossbows, knives aerosols, fireworks, a massive list mm-hmm. of items that are not sold to children and young people because they're harmful. Mm. We don't have that massive evidence base, but we have that, you know. It's just not, it's just not accepted, yeah. so we just, just don't do it, yeah. Exactly, but, you know, I guess there isn't that huge amount of money to be made out of all those items, but there is around these drinks so it's it's maybe for parents to to reflect on that and also you know really for our policymakers to think about the fact that it isn't clear it's confusing you know these drinks say on the back of them that they are not suitable for children so in work that we have done with children and young people you know they've held up a can to me and said 
it says it's not for us. It's on the back in tiny mm-hmm. writing, but they're selling it to us. That doesn't make sense. And it, it, it doesn't. doesn't. No, not only selling it, but actively marketing it yes. to them. It's... Although they will argue they are not. But yes, so there's a lot of food for thought and a lot of discussions to be had around, I guess, this wider topic of commercial determinants and, mm-hmm. you know, where our food environment and how that interacts with ultimately our health outcomes and our long term health, which might not be of immediate interest to a 12 year old boy. But, you know, these these are these are things we should be aware of and, and be discussing. Yeah, certainly things that we can open dinner time conversations or conversations in the car about, you know, it doesn't have to be a big deal, does it? You can just be a, open up little chats about them regularly so that so that children build up an awareness of of things like marketing, the content long-term impacts of things. Correct. Do we know what teachers report about energy drink consumption among students at school? And and do we also know anything about its impact on school readiness or learning? Well, we do know that there are detrimental educational impacts with those children who are more likely to consume them. But again, that's you know related to the wider factors. Again, looking back at our original qualitative work, we did talk to both parents and teachers about energy drinks and they felt that uh, they were highly disruptive in the classroom and again you know the education unions also gave evidence at the science and technology committee back in 2018 and again talked about that disruptive effect many schools banned them from being on the premises doesn't necessarily again when we have conversations with children and young people there's lots of ways around that but it's again that clear messaging that these are not to be had within the school and these are not suitable within the school because they do affect behavior what would you like to see all schools doing is there any uh, is there any sort of examples of good practice that you've seen or or anything that you could recommend for schools I actually think that this is something that needs to be taken at a policy level and Mm -hmm. for there to be action at a higher level that says these are not suitable for children. It isn't fair that the schools have to police this. This should, this should be done, you know, out with. But within the schools, obviously, the ban on having them within the school, I think, is important. And also at any sporting events. Yeah. But I think that dialogue around those wider determinants and what are in these drinks, you know, how not just what's in them, but thinking about how they're being marketed to them and that, yeah. that association. So those broader discussion pieces, which I know that schools, you know, many schools are already doing that. And, yes. Yeah. You know, these younger people are much more savvy than we are and are quite well aware that they're being marketed to. But it's good to have those discussions. Absolutely. I can see lots of sort of form time discussions going on or, or discussions in PSHE about substance use generally. I mean, yes. it, it, caffeine is a does form part of substance use generally, really. Uh, it can just form part of the wider conversation around what we're putting into our bodies and what it might be doing to us. Correct. And, and it's an interesting one because it's very culturally acceptable. Yeah. It, it's a very big effect. I personally can't drink, don't drink much tea either, but I can't drink any coffee. It gives me huge palpitations. I can't have it at all. Yes. You know, it, it, it does have a big effect. It's not a low level ingredient really, is it? No, it's it is. It's a stimulant. It is. Yeah. And, but as I said, you know, very culturally acceptable yeah. one. And that would be the rhetoric that you would get back from these larger companies that say, well, 
everybody has. You can get iced coffee, you can get iced mm. tea, but there's a certain something about these drinks and the the not just the caffeine, but the other additives plus the sugar plus the attractive marketing and colours and all of that that make them particularly attractive to younger younger people. And I think we just need to stop and think about that and think about the longer term and wider consequences mm. in terms of not just educational attainment, but long-term health. Mm. It's the perfect discussion topic for a, a classroom debate, really, isn't it? Kind of, they can, they can talk about either side. We've had a lot of food for thought in this discussion already about, about energy drinks and their potential impacts. For anyone who's interested in learning a bit more about it, any either teachers, parents or young people themselves, do you have any resources that, that we could highlight to them or flag to them? Or do you know of any websites that might be useful? Yep, there's a resource that we developed alongside children, teachers, parents in County Durham following our earlier study. And um, we'll get the link for that leaflet. It's a really nice, concise, informative leaflet that you yeah. can have a look at. There's a, there's a web link for that. Yeah, we'll definitely highlight that in our notes and uh, make sure that our parents and teachers can access that. That sounds fantastic. Do you have any sort of closing message? If you could send any message to people who are making policy at the moment, what would it be about energy drinks and their availability to children and young people? I think I would like to say that this, I hope, is the last evidence review on energy drinks that we need to do, that there is enough evidence now for our policymakers to look after not just the health but the well-being and the mental health of children and young people and to make it clear to them, to parents, to guardians, to shop owners that these products are not for children and we should be understanding how they are marketed to them and alongside other policies that are looking to create a healthier environment and a healthier space in which to make choices, this could be a change that could have a far-reaching impact, not just on health, but mental health and also educational attainment. Brilliant. Thank you, Amelia. One final, final question. You're obviously just about to publish this very exciting piece of research, but what else are you working on at the moment? (laughs) Any other interesting projects? Yes, lots of, lots of interesting pieces of work. At the moment, we are doing quite a lot of work around food insecurity, because unfortunately, we find that lots of our populations are struggling to be able to access and afford food. And we're trying to understand different models of where people get food from. So we're looking at the social supermarket model, which again, lots of schools often have pop-up social supermarkets within them. So we're interested in that. Also looking at the impacts food insecurity has on people's mental health as well as their physical health. That's fascinating. What's a social supermarket? So a social supermarket can be called all kinds of things. It can be called a pantry. Here in uh, the Teesside area, they're called eco-shops to de-stigmatise them. Um, They're often selling uh, food at much cheaper prices. So you might pay two pounds and get 10 items. The food within them varies week on week. And yes, it's a way that a lot of people now access their food. And actually, you know, as policymakers, we don't know an awful lot about 
this. We're assuming people get their food from the supermarkets and that's not necessarily the case for large amounts of the population. We also are doing work. I've got a big interest in food environments and also the planning system. And the food environment is constantly changing. So we have, particularly post-COVID, we have a lot of what are called dark kitchens, which are places that are not necessarily where you as a customer can go into, but when you use delivery apps, food, so they're not customer facing, but more and more kitchens are around and we we just again don't know an awful lot about them so yeah the the other piece of work which is very exciting and very interesting is around potential food taxes for the future so uh, working on the fact that we have a successful levy in this country around sugary drinks and what could that be expanded to and that's really really interesting but very complex in a environment where a lot of people are food insecure and there's a cost of living crisis so yeah everything's a bit challenging but overall trying to improve access to healthy food and enable people to make healthy choices the easiest choice wow i mean you sound absolutely so busy <laughs> to know you're managing to do three days a week three days a week Well, thank you so much for talking to us today and for sharing your really, really important work. I hope that there's lots of people out there in power listening, willing to make some of these changes that you and a large body of other organisations are seeking to to get with, with the ban on sales of energy drinks to young people. And it's been really lovely talking to you. Please keep in touch about your other projects. We'd love to hear more. Thank you. Thank you for having us. <laughs> thank you. Bye-bye. This podcast is brought to you by Tooled Up Education, the home of evidence-based tips on parenting, family life and education. www.tooledupeducation.com Parents and teachers in Tooled Up schools can also access notes accompanying each podcast available to read and download from the Tooled Up site.